Over the last number of weeks, we have been talking about fences or barriers that we put up in our lives that keep us from relationship with God and with other people around us. Things like rejection and fear and bitterness and whatever else. Things that keep us actually from fulfilling our life calling if we actually allow those fences to stay put in our lives. And in the midst of talking about those things today... Uh, or talking about those things in general over the last couple of weeks, I've talked about how the Lord's actually designed us to live a life that is actually wide open and free from anything. Anything that would actually hinder us and keep us from living the abundant life that he came to give us, that he purchased for us at the cross at Calvary. And a couple weeks ago, I shared how Jesus himself, Jesus is actually the only fence that we actually need. And I know somebody was wondering, is that true, Aaron? Well, if you think about it this way, God is the one who's actually hemmed us in, brought us into his family. And he said, do things my way. Follow me. Do it my way. And it will lead to life, abundant life. So in a way, that's a barrier around us, a healthy, good barrier around us. That actually, if we stay within it, we find life and joy and peace and all the things that are good that he wants to bring into us. Meaning that as we follow him, as we learn from him, as we obey him, as we live with him, we actually have this health that comes into our life and keeps us safe. It keeps us at peace. Living a life of fruitfulness and joy. It doesn't mean that difficult things are never going to touch us. That wouldn't be, if I stood up here and said, everything is going to go wonderful in your life. Um, Because of Jesus, uh, Jesus never even said that. He he said, there are going to be difficulties in your life. There are going to be things where you suffer. uh, But I will be with you. And if you promise, if you stay connected with me and receive my boundaries for your life, you will have an abundant and an eternally valuable life. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can't do anything. Eternally valuable things are are what we want. Today, I want to finish our series by reading and studying Psalm 5 together. So if you have your device with you, your Bible, uh, you can turn to Psalm 5. And I want us to have a look at the practical process that this psalm actually contains for working on a life and living a life with healthy boundaries and barriers. But the first is one fence that I actually still want to mention. Um, Actually, it's probably, in this example, it's probably literally quite two fences. But it's one of those character things. It's one of those things that's in everybody's life Uh, that we need to deal with at some point. Well, between two farms in Valley View, Alberta, if you're thinking, well, where is Valley View, Alberta? For those of you who have ever been to Grand Prairie, it is just on the way from Edmonton west to Grand Prairie. Uh, And the map won't come up there, by the way. (laughs) But you will find two parallel fences somewhere near Valley View, Alberta, only two feet apart, running about a half a mile, where, why are there two fences when one would do just fine? <laughs> well, two farmers, Paul and Oscar, had a disagreement uh, 
that actually erupted into a feud of sorts. Paul wanted to build a fence uh, between their land, and he wanted Oscar's help to split the cost to build the fence. But Oscar was unwilling. He refused to, to contribute. Uh, Paul just wanted to keep his cattle on, on his land. He wanted to use it as pasture. But Paul, so Paul had to go ahead, and he built the fence anyway. And he was kind of ticked off about it. After the fence got completed, Oscar was looking at Paul's work, and he said, Hey, I, I see we've got a fence. And Paul said, What do you mean, we? It's my fence. Uh, in fact, I got the property line surveyed, and I built the fence two feet onto my land. That means that if any one of your cattle steps onto my land, I'm going to shoot it. <laughs> wow. And Oscar knew Paul wasn't joking. So if, if, when he, when Oscar eventually decided to use his land adjoining Paul's for pasture as well, he was forced to build another fence that two feet away from the actual, on the actual property line. Now, Oscar and Paul, they're both gone now, but their double fence still stands as a monument to the high price that we pay for stubbornness. Stubbornness. That's one of the fences that we put up in our life, isn't it? Stubbornness is a simple yet another manifestation of pride, uh, which is usually always pride. It's usually always at the root of our sinful behavior. Uh, It might be covered over and masked by fear or anger or both, uh, but underneath there's part of us that thinks that we can do life on our own without any help. Thank you very much. And I laugh a little bit, actually, on the inside, on the inside, on the inside. I laugh a little bit when I hear parents say, oh, you know, my boy, my girl, they're not stubborn, they're just tenacious. (laughs) Right? (laughs) And I love that about them. And I laugh because I wonder, are you actually in reality about what's going on in your child right now? Uh, Mom and dad, are you actually in unreality about the character that you are helping build and form into your child right now as they have their temperature, uh, their temper tantrum or their stubbornness? So if you take a quick internal temperature check of your own stubbornness, which I make the assumption we all have at some level, where are you at? One of my prayers for us this morning is that the Holy Spirit would actually open our eyes to see things in our life as they really are. Not just how we would like them to be or how we think they are. Lord, would you open our eyes this morning? The ironic thing is, is that we, if we struggle with stubbornness, you might not think you're stubborn. <laughs> and right now you're looking at somebody else you know, in, in the audience, in the congregation here today, maybe it's your spouse and you're saying, you know what, yeah, yeah exactly, Lord, please, Jesus, would you help them to see things my, I mean, your way, <laughs> right, right? Because your way is best, Lord. And another one of my prayers this morning is, is for us to actually yield to Scripture instead of staying stuck or stubborn behind our fences. So, Lord, would you please help us with that this morning? There's all sorts of issues that put up fences in our lives. And we could probably be preaching about them for a number of weeks, but we do need to bring it into land. 
but I'd like to help us today by providing us with kind of a final heart posture a process, and a process that can help us to stay on the right track as we grow with Jesus. So Psalm 5, I said, let's, we'll just read it together, kind of a few chunks, a few verses at a time, and I'm going to make some observations along the way. So Psalm 5, starting in verse 1, to the choir master for the flutes. Anybody here play the flute? Or are you still in band? Who's going to confess? <laughs> Nobody? All right, all right. Well, I, flute's a beautiful instrument, but you can kind of get a feel for what kind of a psalm this might be by the kind of instrument that it's going, that's going to play it. And it's a psalm of David. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Now, this word groaning here doesn't mean, oh, not like that. It means, consider my, my innermost thoughts, my meditations, my musings, the things that are important to me way deep down. So consider my groaning, give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. David in Scripture is described by God himself as a man after his own heart, meaning that even after all of his failings, the Lord was pleased with the posture of his heart and the way that he chased after and he pursued his relationship to the Lord. So I think there's something that we can learn from David when we look at how he approaches the Lord in this psalm. Right from the start, David makes a request. I might be the king of Israel, but you are my Lord and my king. Please listen to my prayer. Listen to my heart. Pay attention to what I'm bringing to you. I'm bringing you my deepest thoughts. I'm praying to you because you are where my help comes from. I want to share my heart with you. Please listen to me, Lord. Do you hear that? And then if we move on to the next few verses, Psalm 5, verse 3. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. A nice psalm for flutes. (laughs) I think about things like this. David recognized that he was a sinner who really sinned. A sinner that failed. And he was no different than anyone else He had no special pass from God to exempt him from sin and its consequences. Just like you and I, without Jesus. David offered his morning sacrifice, an act of worship. I mean, Nikki read the passages about the old way of sacrificing lambs and goats and cows and things like that and oxen. Because he did it as an act of worship which recognized his sin and his need for forgiveness. He didn't want to have anything between him and God or charged against him by God. He, he wanted to show his desire to be righteous and blameless before a holy God, his maker. And David knew how God dealt with sinful human beings and the consequences of man's sin. 
So according to the law and out of his love for God and his desire to be accepted and clean, he offered his sacrifice. So nothing would come between him and the Lord. Nothing would hinder his relationship, his requests, or his prayers. See, David was in reality about his place before God. As I thought about these verses, I wondered how many of us today, myself included, are in reality about our habits, about our actions, about our attitudes that run within our lives, and whether they actually line up with how God sees things. Are we in reality about that? Let's move on to verse 7. But I, David's saying, but I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. In my mind, these two verses in the middle of Psalm 5 are the most important part of this psalm. Here is, is what David sees, uh, what, what David's confidence is in. You know, though he's sinned, though he knows he needs forgiveness, he knew above all of that that the Lord loved him, that the Lord loved him and accepted him. And it was on this ground that he came into the temple to worship in the morning, not just because he'd done a sacrifice, but because of the Lord's abundant love for him. His confidence was mixed with a healthy dose of the fear of the Lord as well, knowing that God's not somebody to be trifled with. God is not our buddy. He is not our pal. God is not somebody to be presumed upon. David knew this, but he loves us with an abundant love. David the king willingly bowing before the king of all creation. In humility, David asks for help. Lead me, Lord. Show me the way that I should go. I want to follow you, Lord. Reveal your will. Reveal your ways to me. Show yourself glorious in my life. Is that our heart posture when we come to the Lord in worship? See, as Christ followers, we can actually read these verses with slightly different eyes. The Lord has actually revealed a greater truth, one that David was hoping for in his time. You know, we know Jesus Christ. We've been celebrating him this morning, the Messiah. He's made a permanent way, a permanent way. No sacrifice is ever needed again. A permanent way for us to enter into God's presence through his death and resurrection. That is ours today. Out of love for us, Jesus died for us. When we receive his salvation, the salvation that Jesus purchased for us for, as a final sacrifice for sin, we're forgiven. We can enter into the temple or the presence of the Lord without fear of being destroyed because we are clothed in the very righteousness, not of ourselves, but the righteousness of Christ, of Jesus himself. We can actually approach the Lord with confidence, without fear, because we are loved. We are accepted. We are welcomed 
by God through Jesus Christ. Verse 9. For there is no truth in their mouth, meaning his enemies, meaning the wicked that he talked about before. In their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. Wow, how would you like somebody to tell you that? Your throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. How would you like David praying against you? Wow. David was looking to God to make his path straight, remember? He couldn't trust all of the words of the people around him, but he trusted God to speak to him. He, David knew the consequences of living a life of sin, a life of deceit. And his words actually show an understanding of God's response to sin. You see, reading these verses, people might think David's saying, Lord, I know I'm clean. You know, I'm on the right side of this, so please destroy my enemies so that I'm no longer hindered by them. That might be what you read in these verses, but I don't think that's the case. Remember, David's prayer is for God to reveal the straight path, the righteous path. So I think his prayer is actually, Lord, would you clear people out of my life who have ulterior motives, who are no good for me, there is nothing good in their speech that will lift my life up according to your word. They're not voices that I need to hear. They aren't following you. So I don't want to listen to their empty words. I want to hear from you. Lord, as you answer my prayer this morning, I'm ready to listen. You know, maybe you have people in your life that might fall into that category. Are they a help to you? Are the words that they speak into your life, life? Verse 11. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them sing, ever sing for joy, and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. So David finishes this psalm with a further request. He asks the Lord to show himself glorious. Lord, would you show yourself glorious by, by being true to your promises to me, to be that strong tower and fortress that we see in some of the other psalms in which we find refuge and we find protection and we find safety I mean, we see this. If you've read the Psalms, you'll know David's imagery for the Lord being a strong tower and our help in times of trouble. You know? When we were created by God, we were created to know Him. We were created to delight in Him. Those are our two things that none of, no other part of creation has. And when you see God at work and the lights go on and you go, wow, God, I know more about you. It makes me love you more. 
In fact, my affections start to turn even more towards you. That glorifies God. It glorifies him. And in David's own life, he had experienced the joy of God saving him many times. You just have to read the story in Samuel and Kings. Um, God saving him. Uh, And so you can see in this psalm, there's something that naturally wells up inside of him. A desire to worship and to give glory back to God. You know, because David knows God's track record, his heart actually overflows with affection. It overflows with affection and delight for God. It actually pours out of him in worship, in his words. David actually believed the promise that those who pursue the Lord, that those who obey him, trust him, love him, they'll experience blessing and protection. God, you have shown that to me in my life over and over and over again. Yes, I've had difficulty. I've been in war. I've been chased. I've, been, I've had to hide in caves. I've had people maligning me and, and trying to, to take my whole life away from me. But God, you are with me. You have been my shelter. You have been my shield. So how does this all apply to the fences in our life? Well, we're just going to get back to the basics this morning. Over the last six weeks, we've talked about needing to deal with anything that's going to hinder us from obeying God, following after him, in order to be able to live a life that's fruitful. Loving God, loving our neighbor, loving each other. And we've understood the need to invite the help of the Holy Spirit to actually empower us to be able to live out that life. We need the Holy Spirit. Amen? We can't do this life without the Lord. Uh, so that we can actually stay connected to Jesus and to other people. But there's one thing that we actually haven't covered. One thing we actually haven't stressed um, uh, throughout this time. So, in one sense, it's a starting point of dealing with fences. And David reminds us of it in verse 7. Remember I told you, those two verses in the middle, that's the really important bit. In verse 7, the first half to remind us again, says, But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. We are loved by God. The truth is, we are loved by God. This is a powerful truth. It bounces off of us because we think it's too simple. But this is actually the default posture that we need to live our lives from. Jesus loves you. When I read this verse again and again and again this past week, every time I read it, I felt it refreshing me. It was a supernatural thing. You know that feeling when you're working on a hot day Outside and your mouth is just dry with thirst. It has those little crusty bits around, you know, your, your lips, right? That you have to wipe away. Just giving you an image. <laughs> and you know that feeling when you finally reach for your water out of that cold cooler and you know it's going to be nice and icy and cold. And you take that first refreshing sip. That first one. In that moment, it feels like 
everything else around you disappears, doesn't it? Just for a brief moment. (laughs) Anybody identify with that? Just all of a sudden things around you disappear. And for that brief, satisfying moment, you are revived and you are refreshed by that water as it fills your mouth and your body and as it does its work in you. And that's what I felt while I was reading this verse. You might not feel that this morning, but I did. You know, when you're reading God's Word, sometimes things just jump off the page at you, and you go, wow, that's for me, or that's for us today. Especially after a week where I was actually feeling a bit discouraged by my own capacity to sin, my own frustration with myself for not getting things right again. God, why do I keep hitting this? I, why am I, I'm here again. God, I need your help. Lord, I'm sorry. This verse reminded me, no matter what I do, good, bad, ugly, it will never cause the Lord to stop loving me or want to be with me. No matter what I say, whether it's right or wrong or otherwise, it will never stop the Lord from loving me or rejecting me. No matter where I am, wherever I may find myself, whether it's right in the center of his will or whether I'm far off the mark, it will not cause him to stop loving me with the same overflowing, never-ending, faithful, perfect love that he has always given to me. Because of what Jesus has done for you and me, we can truly experience his love. Not just know it, but have it travel the 12 inches between here and here and know it in our knower, if that makes sense. But also like David, we can enter into the very presence of God through that love. Because of that love. And this is what I want you to remember as the basic truth that enables us to live out a life that's free. Not free that it doesn't cost us, but free as in unshackled. The truth is that God truly loves us. He accepts us. He has welcomed us into his family. And he is the anchor. He is the launching pad for everything that we do. That's it. I'm done. No. <laughs> because he loves us, we can love him. We can love our neighbor. We can love each other. This kind of love can even help us move past our fences and actually move past other people's fences. Do you live with the knowledge and experience that God loves you? Are you confident that God loves you? Like David in this psalm. Or is, is there something that needs to shift in you in order to be able to receive his love? Is there anything that is in the way of you receiving his love? This truth, maybe it seems a little too basic for you today. Maybe you're here, Aaron, yeah, you know, this is pretty basic. Yep, you're right. Um, 
But I remember hearing a conversation with the famous theologian J.I. Packer, who was asked a question by a student. He said, the student had asked him, over the last 50 years that you've been in biblical studies, what is the most significant truth that you have discovered in Scripture? Isn't that a great question? And he thought for a few moments, and he reflected on that, and then he earnestly responded. It's this. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's it. How many of you are going, wow. How many of you are going, yeah. It should be, wow. That's amazing. That knowledge, that understanding, it provides us a place of safety and security out of which our life is satisfied deep inside like no other love in the world can. And it provides us this place of anchoring, but at the same time, it launches us out into his purposes and plans. And that connects to the second thing, the second basic truth that I see from this psalm. I want to remind us, it's this posture. Lead me, Lord. Lead me. It says, lead me in verse 8. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. When you know that you are loved by your heavenly Father, not like your earthly Father, but like your heavenly Father who is perfect at loving you, you can trust Him too. And that trust actually takes humility on our part. It's actually the antidote to the stubbornness and the pride I talked about at the beginning. Being led by Jesus needs to be our default posture as well. It's hard for him to lead us if we're always in the driver's seat. I don't know about you, but if one of my daughters decided to get into the driver's seat... She was driving, and I'm sitting in the passenger seat, or I'm sitting in the back. It's a little hard for me to go, ah, ah, ooh, you know, whatever, you know, whatever's going on, right? Or if I have my feet dug in like a donkey, you know, just lead me, Lord, lead me, right? No, I can't, I can't be stubborn like that. When you realize that you don't actually have to do life on your own, but you actually have the Lord of heaven who is ready to leverage all of heaven's resources, all of heaven's resources to bring them, bring them to your situation. When you realize that that your way is not the best way or the only way, but that the one who loves you like nobody else will ever love you wants to actually help you and to show you the best way, it's, it's then that we can cry out and ask the Lord, Lord, lead me. You're the only one who can do this. You're the only one who can truly help me. The only one that I can fully trust. So are you in reality about who's leading your life? Are you in reality? King David was sure about who he wanted in the driver's seat of his life. 
Are you? Does your life actually reflect that posture? Or do you just want that to be the answer because you know it's the right answer? But you're actually quite happy living life on your own terms. Just be honest. I don't need to know. But you need to just be honest with that in your life and between you and Jesus. Because he knows the truth already. So just settle. Who's going to be in charge of your life? Is it going to be you or is it going to be him? Whatever area it is of your life. And you know what happens when we settle who's Lord of our life and that Jesus loves us? (laughs) While a relationship forms, that's number one. But those truths, like I was talking about reading that scripture and coming into me like that cup of cold water, those truths go into us and they start working in us and producing that same confidence in us that David is expressing in this psalm as he's approaching God with what's on my mind and what's on my heart. He's saying, give ear to my words, Lord. Lord, consider my groaning, my thoughts, my inmost thoughts. Give attention to the, the sound of my cry, my King, my God. For, to, for you, to you do I pray. Here's an interesting question. I don't think we've asked it over the last six weeks. Do you know why we put up fences in the first place? Well, yes, it's because we get hurt, we get offended, we get angry, we get bitter, we get rejected, whatever it is. But those are all symptoms of a reaction to something that's happened. Our fences actually go up when we do not feel heard, listened to, or acknowledged. That's when the fences go up. Just think about that for two seconds. Oh, yeah. David's opening line is a cry and a need to be heard by God. If we read all the Psalms that David wrote in the scriptures, we discover that one of David's unchanging beliefs was no matter how he felt, no matter what the circumstances were, or how down in the dumps, or what level of ecstasy he was feeling in joy, he believed that the Lord was there with him, and that the Lord was listening to his cries, listening to his heart, listening to the requests that he brought to God. There have been times in my life where I've felt like heaven was closed to my prayers. That God wasn't listening, hearing, and caring about me. But that wasn't true. He was. The feeling had actually more to do with the distance that I had moved away from Jesus. And because I'd actually turned off the tap of his love in my heart in an area of my life. You see, I wanted to believe. <laughs> I wanted to believe I was right. I wanted to believe I was being stubborn. I wanted to believe that somehow God was rejecting me. That because, so that I could actually feel justified in my hurt and not being listened to. Where are you, God? You said you'd never leave me. You, you said you would never forsake me. You said you'd always be with me. See, you didn't live up to that. We do lots of things to hide from the real issues in our lives. 
But as the Lord loved me, despite myself, I began to see how my life had actually shifted away from Jesus. I stubbornly wanted Jesus on my own terms. My pride and my hurts were getting in the way of his love flowing in my life and to other people. Maybe you've experienced the same thing, you know, a fence being created in your life. No matter how old we are, no matter how long we've walked with Jesus, we need to make sure that we're not creating unhealthy fences with our relationship to Jesus and with others. My charge to us this morning in one sense is let's keep pursuing Jesus together. Let's keep inviting him to love on us and receive his love into our community. That means joy and satisfaction. It also means uh, discipline and exhortation, saying, guys, you're not lining up with me. It means all those things together. But let's keep pursuing him together and letting his love flow through us, unhindered, no fences. I actually want to leave you with one question. I actually had three originally, and then I thought, no, I need to simplify. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's the teacher in me. (laughs) I want to leave you with one question to actually process. It's a question I want you to ask Jesus every single day this week. Because my suspicion is, is that The answer will be the same, but it will be different each time. I want you to ask Jesus, Jesus, how much do you love me? How much do you love me? Did you know that you can ask the Lord a question like that? If you've been through our Hearing God seminar, you know you can ask God all sorts of questions. But you can ask the Lord a question like this. When a little, uh, last week, I was challenged to ask this question. And I said, Jesus, how much do you love me? And as I closed my eyes, I was immediately, I found myself in an ocean. There was no horizon, like just horizon, no land, no nothing. I was just out in the midst of rolling swells, going, (laughs) okay. And then immediately from there, I was plunged down, down, down to the depths of the ocean. And it was as if I passed right through, right through the earth and to the other side and just kept going out into the stars, out into the Milky Way, our universe around us. And in one sense, it didn't take rocket science to figure out what God was trying to tell me. (laughs) But he was sharing with you, or with me, he was saying, this is just a little. You see, did you know that the ocean that covers our earth, because I was How much water is actually in the ocean? Well, apparently, 1.332 billion, with a B, billion 
cubic kilometers. Wow. The deepest part of the ocean that we've measured, known as the Challenger Deep, is, also, is in the Marianas Trench. It's near um, Guam. You can look on the map later after. If you're wondering where Guam is, 35,462 feet down. That's almost 11 kilometers deep. If you put Mount Everest in the Marianas Trench there, there would still be 7,000 feet left before you hit the surface. That's how deep. That's just our Earth. The furthest point that we've traveled in space, I mean, Peter, you might know the answer to this, but Voyager 1, which launched in 1977, is now about 19.5 billion kilometers away from Earth. It's actually recently left the Milky Way galaxy and is in, at least that's what I heard. (laughs) What's that? The, our, yeah, our solar system. Yeah, it's left our solar system and now is what they call interstellar space. It sounds very Star Trekky. But the farthest, apparently, that we've ever seen from Earth is 32 billion light years away. I can't even get my mind around that. You probably can't either, but Jesus, how much do you love me? And then God says, but I see you. I see you. I know you. And I love you. Live in me. Live free. Live my way. Follow me. I want to pray. And as I pray, I actually want to pray a scripture passage over you. So if you just want to bow your heads, I want to pray this over you. It's from Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason, Lord, I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of your glory, you may grant us to be strengthened with power through your Holy Spirit in our inmost beings, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that we would know that we would be rooted and grounded in love, that we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. So now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen.